All right, we're done. We're ready to go. We're ready to go with half strength, John. And full strength, Merlin. You said you were operating slowly last week, or what? No, what did you say? You were uh, low energy last week. You like this? Yeah. You like uh, this? Are you into this? Is, is this? Is this what you want? Is this what you want? Mm-hmm. Don't be <laughs> passive aggressive. Oh, I'm being aggressive. Don't worry about You're that. You're being passive aggressive. Oh wow! If that makes you happy, I guess that's fine. It's, it's, <laughs> always, it's always what makes you happy. A plus plus. Hi, John. Um, boy, you had a. You told us about your trial last. Well, you're you know you're, mm -hmm. you're you got cleared, and um, and now you got a little cold. Yeah, unrelated. Uh, I know it's not COVID. Uh, Did you get it from the Hungry Man it. Select? Do you think? I mean, I it was coming on last night. When I did our member special episode of ATP, where we ate TV dinner, wait, 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 wait! I was listening to that last. Did you release it fully last night? Uh, when did we record that? I gotta look at my calendar. Uh, yeah, we recorded it on Monday. Oh my god, that's so funny! Um, everybody out there, and that's for members only, right? Yes. If you're not an ATP member, and you should be, because uh, that show's wonderful. Um, they Casey made. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Just, you, know, you probably already have listened to it, but if you haven't, go join ATP.FM and uh, listen to uh, Casey make Marco and especially John eat. Uh, microwave dinners, they're called? No, sorry, microwave dishes? What is, what, is, what is Casey's unholy name for these? He kept saying frozen meals, which <laughs> frozen I guess is... Frozen meals? Is, that sounds like something you would see in Canada. Doesn't it? Like in America, you would say mm -hmm. TV dinner and then you, you know, like, like craft, craft dinner versus, you know, mm -hmm. or Velveeta in his case. But like, I've never heard, frozen meal. I, or, yeah. The thing is, like I said in the show, could he not get the rights to TV dinner? Two of them were TV dinners because they had the little sectioned out things. But one of them right. was the, the more modern variant, which just has no sectioning in the thing. It's just one giant tub of oh, stuff. That, that would be the chicken, the, 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 the Italian style chicken yeah, with the Asiago it. cheese people, sauce. People keep passing around like the chapter <laughs> on images that Marco put in there. And they're making me queasy just thinking about it. I was, I know, I was I sending know. them to uh, family members in a message thread. And I had to post pictures of my dog until I scroll off the top because I'm not feeling great today. And I couldn't look at those pictures anymore. Yeah, I don't blame you. But like I texted you literally last night. Now it's suddenly I said I said well B. I thought that was a very fun episode. And A, it, it well it has really kind of made me crave Salisbury steak, which is not something oh, I, I can't even fathom. That like I feel so just disgusted. Oh, it was I know such it's just a treat. A cold, but... It was a treat. Oh, because oh. you're sick. Okay. Yeah, because now I'm like I've linked the sickness to to like because I was the sickness was coming on when I was doing that. If I felt like this when we did that thing, I would have canceled it because I can't imagine eating. It's like I've you know, got you get stuff sick like that just, that I still yeah. associate with. Well, for example, every time I as I mentioned last week, anytime I see or even think of soft serve. I think about when I vomited when I was 12. Oh, yes, yes. And like, and I still enjoy soft serve. I think it's a little overpriced personally. Mm -hmm. But I have all kinds of associations. Yeah, trying like to think that. about all the bacteria. We need machines. to utilize you. We need to we need to strap you to the buckboard while we can. Because um, uh, thank you, everybody, for... Well, I'll speak for myself. John doesn't thank anyone for anything. He just says, yeah, what you said. Um, I want to <laughs> that, thank... That counts as thanking. Not really, John. In the computer science sense, it sure does. Oh, so there's there's three numbers. When you fork, you share all pages with your parent process. So they only start to diverge once you start dirtying the pages. I'm not dirtying any pages here. Yeah, but what if you what if you 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 have a dirty page when you page out? <laughs> I like I'm giving you new stuff to put into the ping pong machine. But uh, what I you're, said was you're actually a ping pong real. machine. Yeah. Now who knows how that'll come out? I'll be watching for that in two years. Okay. All right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, when you when you're running clear, <laughs> buddy. I was running clear in the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, you were clear before I was born. I know. The, uh, getting from our house to the UCSF Medical Center 
mm-hmm. at 4.35 a.m. Yeah, or whatever that was. you in a bathtub. Oh, well, I'd already mastered the one-cheek method. Um, that was already instrumental to my process. All right, we don't we don't want to gross people out because even though we have a lot of follow this episode that is John, about could that. you just could you just not say thank you for a minute and I want to say hey thank you to everybody for the nice uh, remarks about last week's episode. Uh, it was really nice. I'm glad people liked it. Uh, I uh, you know I, I don't like to see people. Well, I don't know. You, you ask yourself like, is it good when you can figure out like you know Nora Ephron says everything is copy. Like figure out how to make a bad story into like a good you know bit and like. I, 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 I'm glad people heard it and enjoyed it. And ultimately, in some ways, I'm glad they learned that you, so far, survived at your colonoscopy. Yeah, and I just, just to circle that up, I did finally get my test results and thumbs Ooh, save up. It, save it, save it. It's not exciting. That's it. That's just, I mean, if you, the thing about the, the test results is if there's something bad, like your doctor will contact you. But if there's something not bad, they don't contact <laughs> you. And, and you have to go and dig it up yourself. And you look at it and they... They have all sorts of words on the test <laughs> it's results. It's like when you the get bo- the thin envelope from the government. Yeah, but the yeah. bottom line is, and I Googled every single one of the words to find out what they mean, but the bottom line is none of these words mean cancer. So thumbs up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Syracusanoma. Um, yeah. But to that point, John, how do you want to introduce this? Yeah, so we did. Well, I will, I will uh, join in Merlin and thanking everybody for their kind feedback. See that, Merlin? See what I did there? Um and especially, the, I mean, the, part of the reason we talk about this is, well, a, it's funny, but also B, that, you know, it's a type of thing that I was dreading. And lots of people who are my age are surely dreading it because the screening age is even what if it is you in the feel, US. Even if you're not an anxious person, even if you're not a, I don't love that word, hypochondriac, but even if you're not somebody who has grave concerns day to day about your health, it's just not anything that any person looks forward to. Yeah, like people avoid it. Like you avoid going to the dentist. Yes. But this is like the dentist times a thousand. So lots of people are prone not to do it. And I think hearing someone retell a story about it and saying, hey, I survived it and actually wasn't that bad really helps people get over the hump in doing it. Um, and so it, for the people who wrote in to say that they heard heard me talk about it and are slightly less uh, worried about doing it themselves, I think that's good because, I mean, with all these screening things, there's always someone who's going to, well, actually, and say, well, actually, the screening is, uh, you know, it's too invasive and, it's mm-hmm. too aggressive in other countries. They don't do the screening and blah, 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 blah. But either way, I feel like uh, knowing is better than not knowing. The risks of this procedure are very low. And if you do catch something early, it, it, it's a big deal. So I think yeah. I would have there's a reason I chose to do it. Like I could have said, oh, I don't believe that. You know, it's confirmation bias. Like I don't want to do this. And also some people are telling me that they test too much and I don't need to do this. Therefore, I won't do this. And I went the other direction and said, you know what? I, if I have something going on down there, I want to know sooner rather than later. So I did it. Well, especially given family concerned but yeah, exactly. family but, history is yeah. a factor but even if even if i didn't have any family history since it's just like a routine screening procedure thing it's i feel like it's worth doing and it's not actually i'm trying to remember the first one i had I, they finally gave me a full like there's there's two different kinds you can get and there's Did one get the double under yeah 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 we, we were using zoom and uh no but never mind hey john it looks like we've got some very good follow-up so just let it rip anywhere you want to go I don't know how long this will take or last, but I am here for every syllable of follow-up from our listeners about uh, John clearing the other way. Yeah, there was a lot of good follow-up from people. I tried to compress it down to so the, the major much points. good. I mean, not just like haha or lol or lamau, but right. like stuff from people who would appear to be knowledgeable people to fill in some of the gaps on stuff like you know, well, why the anesthesiologists say this and not that. So I say, I say, go at it. Yep. Um, and it's, uh, well, the first one is actually related to what you were saying when you said every time you see soft serve, right? Um, something we've talked about on the show many times, I'm sure it's kind of a trope. People know about it. The idea that smell is 
so evocative of uh, you know uh, the triggering memories or whatever. And why does it? I seem think I was like, talking about the elementary school cafeteria smell. Yes, exactly. Right, and and everyone has experienced that to some degree. That it seems like smelling a familiar smell, even if you didn't know it's familiar, triggers the memories in a way that hearing something or seeing something doesn't as strongly. And here is Alex Lemmy with a uh, theory and a link about why that is the case. Uh, Alex says, in simplified terms, the reason why smell is so effective at triggering memories is that all of our other senses go through routes in our brain that have the ability to moderate the input, like loud sounds, bright lights, or like pain. If you get lots of pain, your brain will tamp it down a little bit. Uh, the olfactory sense is different. It's connected straight to the hippocampus and cannot be moderated in strength. And there is a link to, a, we'll put a link to the Psychology Today article in the show notes, where you can see an explanation of this, presumably from scientists of some kind. Mm-hmm. I like that. The, I like when I'm knowing that there's an explanation. I don't know if that explanation is right because we understand so little about the brain, but it, it matches my subjective experience of being a smeller. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the brain stuff is complicated, and and I don't know. For myself, I'm always reluctant. Uh, I, I try to always make a distinction, maybe meaningless, between brain and mind, just because I feel more qualified in some ways to talk about the phenomenology of mind than I am to talk about the mechanics of brain, but. I mean, there's a reason I'm so interested in the polyvagal system because that's, and that's not multiple bagels, but it's like, there's just this goddamn nerve goes through so much of your body and touches so many different parts. I'm not surprised at all. You know what I'm going to toss out? I'm going to say, um, there's something about a slightly mildewy smell that I, I wonder if as many people have or mothballs as like I have, it's like, it's such a, like a grandparents kind of smell there's a certain kinds of things or like my friend Sam smelling pot for the first time at a concert and recognize it as, as something from when he was a little kid around his parents. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Like you, like you said though, you don't have a name for it or you can't place what it's from. I can't tell you what the smell, like I said, I can't tell you what, what is causing, what things are causing the smell of the Mount Airy elementary school cafeteria. Boy, but I sure know it when I go by it. I'd never heard that, though, about it uh, going straight to your hippocampus. I mean, and it kind of makes, well, it makes some sense. Here's the counter example for it. So the idea of going through pathways that moderate it, uh, the the olfactory thing that we're all familiar with is uh, if something is really stinky, if you hang out in there with the stink long enough, you quote unquote get used to it. And I don't think that counteracts this theory because all this theory is saying is that it goes, the initial smell goes straight through without any moderation. There still is the mechanism where, I don't know, the smell particles fill up all your smell receptors and then it doesn't smell as bad anymore. <laughs> that is definitely a thing. But that that seems separate from the when you the initial smell hits you, that it goes right up into your brain without any moderation, unlike loud sounds, bright lights, pain, other things that can be mm-hmm. moderated on the way in, even when they first occur. That's the theory anyway. Read the article. I always, I, um, I remember as a little kid, I, I don't mean this to be racist, but in particular, like uh, some, some, some uh, great pals of mine who uh, happen to be twins of Italian American heritage and their house smelled so different from ours. And it wasn't a bad smell, but it was a very, very different smell. Whereas my house had quote unquote, no smell that smelled like, yeah, the, exactly. The, your house of course smelled. has no smell until your Italian friends. But, come home. Yeah. But the Jeff Coley house definitely smelled like yeah. something Italian. Yeah. It, it's, uh, and when I traveled more, when I traveled, uh, whenever I'd get home, I would notice a certain kind of not unpleasant, mm-hmm. but a slight, almost like an attic-y kind of old house smell. Yeah, you, you could you could smell your own house for the first time because you've been away from it long enough to actually smell it. So, what, I mean, in your neurology, your understanding, like, what, what's the what's the deal with that? 
Well, it's like I said, it's when, you know, if you smell a smell for on a sustained period, you stop noticing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what the mechanism for that is. But, you know, even if you're just taking a dump and you're stinking up the bathroom, eventually you don't <laughs> smell it until you leave. Right. And if you walk back by the bathroom that you stunk up, you're like, phew. But when you were in there, eventually you, you acclimate to it. <laughs> I feel like that is the uh, the most common experience we all have with a very strong smell that somehow yeah. we eventually get used to uh, and don't notice. And the house is the same way. You just have to be away from it for a long time. It's often very subtle. I assume house smells are mostly have to do with cooking. Like, yep, my would house too. would, you know, if you make uh, my sauce recipe, you know, every two weeks, uh, uh, you know, on the dot, uh, that, making that smells up the house in a particular way. And that smell doesn't go away in the two weeks before you make it again. Uh, and lots of lots of strong cooking smells are like that, especially if you don't have really good venting, which, let's be honest, most of us don't. My own clear filth. Uh, thank you very much to Alex uh, Leamy uh, for that. Uh, the hits just keep on coming. John, uh, Aaron, Aaron Mahler. Yep. Uh, this is some advice from a frequent patient instead of we'll get to the doctors in a little bit. Uh, Aaron says the key to easier colonoscopy prep is using a straw with the chilled liquid. Place it as much toward the back of your mouth as is comfortable. You skip 99% of the taste and the drink and can drink the glasses so much faster. It made prep mostly a non-issue routine for me, and I've done enough of them before and after learning this stuff to swear by it. I wish I knew that ahead of time, because that makes yeah. sense to me. Like a straw way back mm -hmm. in your throat, trying to skip over the worst of the taste buds. They're going to taste the foul-smelling stuff. That's how girls would drink wine coolers in 10th grade. <laughs> it's like you get drunk without tasting alcohol, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish I had known that. I absolutely would have tried it. Or if I had known it before my wife did her thing, I would have recommended it to her, because we have straws, so... Uh, for those of you out there, you have a tip that uh, that I didn't have. Uh, I'm definitely going to try that next time in five years. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> you got it on your calendar? Um, I don't have it on my calendar yet, but Did five you years. Did you leave a Yelp review for that anesthesiologist? Was that something where you'd be able to share that that fellow's name? Where like people might be able to like request him the way you would a waiter? <laughs> I don't. That's the thing. I don't. I'm sure he said his. Oh, did he say his name? I don't remember. This was before I had any drugs in me. So well, we'll get we'll get to the memory thing in a second. Um, okay. So here's Josh DB. Uh, saying that the reason they don't say you'll be unconscious for a colonoscopy is because you're probably not. You're, you're typically under what they call conscious, conscious sedation, where you appear drowsy but conscious, do not form memories, Oof. and may even be able to respond to verbal commands. This oh, makes God. positioning easier. That's at least how it was, it was explained to me. I am not a doctor. Oh, God. I hate this. So this is the, the that idea. Me, that does not make me feel any better, John. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. If you are... We've all been in situations where someone is ostensibly asleep but you say something to them and they respond and then the next day you, you relay that conversation and they have no recollection of it yeah that's without any drugs involved at all just plain old oh i'm sleepy sometimes and it's not sleepwalking or whatever it's just sometimes you can kind of be halfway between being awake and asleep and still can kind of respond to things so that makes perfect sense to me all i really care about is not remembering it but this is well anyway we'll, we'll get to the doctors next because the doctor will chime in with the right potentially but, but, even... but that is adjacent to the you know, maybe unrealistic, but still real concern about like, like we were talking about last time, that sort of like speculative fiction idea of like, well, is it just mainly so the doctor can't, won't hear you scream? Like, right. are you still feeling the pain, but don't have a way to express it? And then they erase that memory. So you think nothing happened, but it really did. Blue sky on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although there is, so a lot of people wrote, I don't have these in the follow-up, but a lot of people wrote in, wrote in from places that are not the U S and I think even one person in the U S uh, People who aren't in the U.S., some people said, oh, I got a colonoscopy and there was no sedation whatsoever. Nothing. Uh, I'm going to say that kind of reminds me of my dad who always refuses Novocaine for getting his cavities filled for his entire life. And he has a mouthful of cavities. Ugh. I can't relate to that, but I know someone who does that. That so. sounds like Roderick. That's so weird. Yeah. He's like scalding his balls at the dentist. It's a mess. Mm -hmm. um, That's no good. 
Yeah, uh, but some people don't want to be sedated at all, or sometimes it's just not routine in their country to sedate. You know what? I suddenly just remembered. Um, nobody asked, and I'm sorry. This is I'm I'm going to tell you. So I did eventually get a colonoscopy that for which I was, if memory serves, knocked out. Like you know, knocked out enough. Like you were mm-hmm. first one I got was a sigmoidoscopy, which was I think arguably closer to the height of the involvement of my d- disease with my mm-hmm. system and the very uh unpleasant uh effects of that and the sigmoidoscopy i think i was good and awake for and i i felt a lot of it and it was not very fun now 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 again i still continue to believe if you tell somebody hey look i'm super freaked out like can you get me as out of it as you're comfortable doing just because i would really rather not be around for this yeah, and unlike things like childbirth, where they used to, you know, give give anesthesia, sort of, a, a, you know, regardless of the wishes of the woman, because <laughs> go sit know. in this room for four hours and then we're going to exactly you out. <laughs> we're going to sedate you whether you want it or not or whatever. Yeah, we come yeah, a long yeah. way on that. But I feel like with colonoscopies, you don't really need to participate. Unlike childbirth, you do not need to participate in the colonoscopy, really. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no nothing required of you. So, I think the default of putting people under this conscious sedation is a reasonable default. It's fairly safe. Uh, it makes everything easier for everybody involved, and it's just the default. But people in the U.S. have wrote in and said, I, I know it's the default, but I just requested no sedation. And they're like, fine, you don't want it, that's fine. Like, they'll they'll do whatever you want, right? Just advocate for yourself. Although I imagine halfway through, if you change your mind, it might be a little awkward. But, you know, it is what it is. I take Novocaine for my cavities, and I will opt into that conscious sedation anytime. I mean, everybody should do what they... With uh, find the right balance of you know your concerns, <clears throat> well that's c- your concerns about pain or complaints about concerns about discomfort or concerns about you know anesthesiology. But you do you. But like I'm not sure there's anything that overtly useful and masculine about just. I mean you, again for your dad, bless his heart. But like I, I I don't have any points to be gained. By whether I, I or think not it's I f- more of a fear thing. People who like my dad is afraid of needles. People are afraid of being quote sure. unquote put under, right? Yeah, so yeah, they, yeah. they're avoiding a thing they're afraid of. They're not mostly, I'm assuming, flexing to be macho. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash Diff. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your personal business online. Whatever you need to do, they're going to help you get it up. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and sell anything, products, services, and even the stuff that you create. Whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can uh, you can use insights to grow your business. So if you've ever wondered where your site visits or your sales are coming from, which channels are the most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you got that data, you can improve your website, make a better marketing strategy based on your top keywords and uh, most popular products and content. Uh, let's just get it out. You can sell your stuff online. Guys, Squarespace, it gives you a store. So whether you're selling physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. Something everybody needs today, help with SEO, search engine optimization. Well, you can use the suite of integrated features and useful guides that Squarespace provides. It's going to help you maximize your prominence among search results. Uh, it's a terrific service, and I love it. As, as you may know, I've been with Squarespace for uh, over a decade. Big fans. I have personal sites there. The Roderick Online podcast lives there. And uh, perhaps most saliently for you, the listener, it is my go-to recommendation for anybody who wants to find their own place on the web. You gotta go to Squarespace. So right now, please head over to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. Get your free trial. 
no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, you just use that offer code DIFFS because that's going to get you 10% of your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace.com slash DIFFS. And when you decide to sign up, I'll say it again, use that offer code DIFFS for 10% off. Uh, it's going to get you a good deal and it's going to show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. And then we start getting into some more. Uh, now, this is where the animal, uh, some of the answers are going to get more. Uh, is, this, is this all from the same person? Yes. All these so, bullets? Oh, okay. I'm just going to stay out of the way. Anonymous yeah, so, surgeon says. Yeah. So it was a surgeon. I don't know if we we're allowed to give a name. So I'm just saying this is anonymous surgeon. All right. Um, here we go. Uh, this is related to the whole like the, the trope that Marlon just said of like, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you're conscious during the whole procedure, but then they wipe your memory at the end. And so that is right. Um, so it starts with uh, the anesthesiologist not explicitly saying that you'll be asleep. I have found that anesthesiologists are very wary of using the S word in cases when they are not putting you under general anesthesia. People have differing levels of consciousness, even with deep sedation, and some may have some memories of moments inside of the OR, and the anesthesiologist doesn't want to be blamed for, quote, not being fully under, right? So if they said, oh, you're going to be asleep and you have memories of, of like, being in the OR, they're going to be like, oh, you said I would be asleep, but I wasn't, you know, lots of things are centered around avoiding malpractice. So that that makes sense. I thought it was because people were afraid of being asleep, they're, like, putting a dog asleep or whatever, but right. the, with the new information that... You may not, you may have, uh, you, you may be conscious enough to do stuff and respond to commands and even have memories. Uh, it's probably a good idea not to tell people they're going to be asleep and then have them not be. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and so he says, this is why as a surgeon, I'm often stepping in to reassure my patients that sleep is what you do at night. General anesthesia isn't being asleep, but rather being unconscious with the machine breathing for you. You don't need that today. So general anesthesia is when, you know, put a thing down your throat, breathe for you. You're like out, out, right? Um, some anesthesiologists will say that they give you, quote, the best cocktail you've ever had and you'll pass out. I guess that works for people who <laughs> like getting drunk. I've never gotten pass out drunk, so I have no standard <laughs> to map that to. If, if they have a if they have a tattoo that's visible above a collar, <laughs> I think that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. And although I, I mean, obviously, yeah, oh, we'll the drugs you know? give you in a second, but like, I don't want to encourage people to liken it to drugs. Say, this is great. You love drugs, right? And like, eh, not really. Uh, but some people do, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so continuing, I think the way anesthesiologist described it, talking about my anesthesiologist, was accurate, but your interpretation is a good example of how we have to be careful as each mm -hmm. patient has their own version of how they interpret what we say. I mean, it's basically an impossible job. You have to find something to say that's not going to get you sued, that's going to comfort the person, but don't comfort too much because then they think you're overcomforting them, but they don't want to, they don't want to, what if they don't say anything well, and they're I mean, just scared and God the whole forbid time? something does happen. I mean, things do happen like it's it's yeah. a, the, the body is called human <laughs> because of how it is and i mean that's if there again god forbid something happens there's going to be five other people in that operating theater who verify the story of the decedent's family that they were told we're just going to quote have you go to sleep mm -hmm. which and then all they got to do is pull up one expert witness to go like do you understand doctor do you understand tell, tell me what you understand what your understanding of sleep is mm-hmm <laughs> Because, I mean, that's that's how it works in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then, now this is fascinating to me. Uh, talk, talk about propofol. Yeah. Propofol? So the, yeah, the medication I got, according to my vague memory. That's of actually it, pretty and, close and to propanolol. You were right. Yeah, I was close. Propofol, which is indeed the Michael Jackson drug. That meaning the, the drug that Michael Jackson's quack doctor was giving him, and also the drug he overdosed on when he died. Um, 
and it's commonly used for this type of sedation. It is distinctive in that the medicine is an opaque white liquid, unlike most other stuff injected into your IV. It's therefore colloquially called milk of amnesia, getting to the memory loss thing. Uh, fun fact from the surgeon. While we have some idea of how it works, I think the exact chemical mechanism of action of propofol is actually not known. That's always reassuring. I mean, I think that's kind of true of aspirin, too, or something. I mean, I was... I, I don't say anything too specific, but I was talking to somebody recently about medical things and pharmacological things. And I was just saying that, like, I think if you are, have the opportunity to meet with a, not a new physician, not a resident, but somebody who's been around for a while, they're willing to admit there's a whole bunch of stuff in medicine. That it, I'm not saying this is not science or not scientific, but there are definitely things where we know this works and we're not sure exactly why. Or maybe put differently, in some cases, we, we know that this works. We kind of understand why. We kind of understand how the mechanism, if you like. But you, um, you, 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 you don't need to sweat this. Like, this is, like, we, we, we know that this tends to not have side effects. And that's one reason we like it, you know, for all of those reasons. And so, like, you know, it's, but, like, my God, what a balancing act. Propofol. Huh. Maybe that's I mean, what I had. Milk, milk of amnesia so that, is very funny. That whole thing of having a drug where they don't know how it works, that has to be how it is. Because it's not like you're, you know, you do, you do your science. You have a your hypothesis. You build a, an experiment to test it or whatever. Uh, say you find a drug that has the effect that you wanted in a measurable, statistically significant, blah, blah, blah amount. Even if you don't understand the mechanism, which is very likely, because this is the first time you're, you know, you're doing this. Like no one right. has ever gotten this result before. It's a breakthrough, right? You don't know how it works. It's not like you're going to say, well, this would help people. But because we don't know how it works, we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to do it. Right. Well, as long I mean, as it passes yeah, all the right. safety te safety tests and as long as it shows that it's effective and safe, then knowing the exact mechanism takes a far backseat to those things. That's why we have tons of things that we use in medicine that, uh, you know, are scientifically tested to have the effect we want them to have, plus or minus these side effects. And we don't withhold them from each other from from, you know, until every, we can every one of those decisions represents some kind of a balance, a trade off and hopefully a certain amount of due diligence and, and background research to see like what are the risks of yeah. of doing this. And and especially with brain stuff, since we have so little understanding because it is very difficult to, uh, you know, unlike the heart, which we can see beating and, you know, do all sorts of stuff to, our ability to directly observe and manipulate uh, a working brain is extremely limited by our giant skulls. So we got the whole MRI stuff going on, but it's just not as simple as like watching blood coursing through a blood vessel or whatever. And so... Anything that has to do with the brain, which I imagine sedation stuff does, uh, we're probably not going to know the exact details of the mechanism, but we will know that it works and we've been using it for 150 years and it doesn't kill people. And so thumbs up, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not, and like I said, we're not going to withhold it and say, well, we would use this. It works great, but we don't understand it. So you don't get it. No, thanks. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, continuing, uh, the process of what anesthesiologists do is really controlling three different things that happen to you all at once. Anesthesia, analgesia, and amnesia, which this surgeon describes as no feeling, no pain, and no memory. So no feeling, I'm assuming that's emotion, not, you know, because no feeling and no pain, though they seem like they're synonyms, but I think no feeling is like no emotions, no well, pain is... But aspirin's an analgesic, which means it, it won't make you feel nothing, but it'll make you, it blocks a certain uh, yeah, kind of pain, pain receptor. Yeah. yeah. And the, no pain is analgesia. Anesthesia right. is no saying. feeling. And yeah, I'm right. Assuming, right. Well, I that's, why, and that's why I'm trying to imply, at least in my, my very rudimentary understanding, is that taking an aspirin doesn't mean you won't feel anything. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not how it works. But importantly, this is why I was writing in, that third one, amnesia, yes, no memory, is part of anesthetic. Um, 
So continue. When I would love to know. Sorry, I would love to know. I don't know how you can. It's difficult to. Uh, what does they say? You can't uh, prove a negative. I mean, at what point is the the phrase I would use incorrectly? Certainly, at what point is a memory not being encoded where it normally would be? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so that's it's. I guess I mean we didn't go into this, but like I would imagine that the two parts of that are potentially forming the memory and uh, mm. making you know not erasing, making but like the, making the sort of connection that'll make an association and pull it back up. Yeah, and, and also weakening an existing existing memory because like the memories get this is this is the arm and uh, bucket of ice water thing from God knows when that I talked about on a podcast um, that sort of how I mean it's a it's a crude analogy because again we don't understand all the details of all the brain stuff but like uh, how well cemented a memory is is related to how intense the experience is so they did this by uh, I think I talked about it on this directive so I'll talk about it again because it's probably like eight years ago or whatever. Um, they would show people like slides that they had to memorize, like you see, you know, objects, shoe, house, tree, whatever. And then they'd have to read them back. It's just a memory test, right? That's all it is. It's nothing exciting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one set of people just looks at the slides and then they do a whole bunch of them. And at the end, they say, okay, tell me back what you saw. And that's the memory test. And they give them a score. And the other set of people do the exact same experiment, except their arm is in a bucket of ice water the whole time. And they do way better on the memory test because they are in distress, essentially, and their brain is being flooded with all sorts of, you know, distress chemicals. And that cements the memories of the slides in more sturdily than and they would be. Which is partly why, why, your, why your car accident feels like it was 10 minutes long. Yeah. Or, you know, or just why you're more likely to remember something that happened in a traumatic incident rather than something that just happened in passing. You know, I also that, wonder if it's, I mean, like, I, I won't, let me rephrase this. Um, it also feels if not related to at least not dissimilar from uh, an ADHD where, you know, I, I'm going to stay away from the science for people like me with ADHD. sometimes things like say brown noise, pink noise, some kind of a way to keep some part of your mind occupied while it's trying to do something else can be really, really helpful. Like I was thinking like I, I had a funny hole in my afternoon where I, I didn't get to take a nap and I thought, oh, I'll just go ahead and eat. And then I'm just going to lay on the couch. And, and then I was laying on the couch and doing some funny tweets about stocks uh, this afternoon. And that time just went like straight by. Like I was just unaware of like 20 minutes going by. And that's because obviously I had something to sort of like occupy myself pleasantly. And Simple <laughs> To occupy my attention. Yeah. Occupy um, my time. Come on. Well, I was doing, I was doing, I put a hand on a hat. So I was close. doing the okay, time. I got it. All I right. did the time and attention thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'll allow it. Re uh, objection rescinded. <laughs> it's a living. <laughs> uh, um, by the way, whoever this doctor is, it sounds like you do know the person's name. Uh, give him a high five for me because I think these are these are great so far. So that so now we're up through anesthesia, analgesia, analgesia. and amnesia. Yeah, right, so I think they're they're those three witches in Macbeth. Mm -hmm. So the doctor says these are actually three separate facets that they control to differing extents and different drugs that they use have varying effects on each of those. Ideally, they're giving you a cocktail that results in enough of all three. Paralysis is also separately induced and a different property, but that is optional and only can happen during general anesthesia when the machine is taking care of moving your lungs. If they paralyze you and you stop breathing, that's bad. So paralysis is not part of the sedation that I received from my colonoscopy because I wasn't hooked up to a machine. I like that was this disambiguation, John, because in my head, I, I mean, if I was really, if you, if we played some kind of parlor game, I probably could break a lot of these out eventually, eventually, but I do like having these broken out for me. 
the paralysis part I hadn't even thought about. Well, of course, like if if you have some kind of a thing where you can't control your body, you know, like they might need to have you just re- sit real still while they put you in the MRI machine. Yep. And that gets back to some people saying that, you know, that they were awake enough in the procedure to either have memories of it or to be able to respond to commands that they have no memory of doing, but they're they're not out out. Right. Um, and then finally here to touch on the amnesia part, there really is a distinct amnesia effect that is caused by some of the agents used for sedation. And sometimes this lasts longer than other effects. As surgeons, we most often see this because we will have a whole conversation with the patient in the recovery room and they looked and act totally awake and lucid. And then the patient will later not even recall seeing us after the surgery. And he mentions that it's a pain when they give you like a negative review, presumably on Dr. Yelp, right? They give you a negative review, say, doctor didn't even come to see me after the surgery when in fact he had like a half an hour conversation with you, but you have no recollection of it. So the amnesia part is definitely there, but it is not uh, a targeted amnesia that carefully excises the part where you're <laughs> awake for your entire surgical procedure. There were some scary stories that I'm not going to put in the show notes because they're too scary, but of like people who, you know, the 0.01% of people who are mm-hmm. like awake during surgery and can feel all the pain and it messes them up big time. It is not the type That's, of thing that where like- basically traumatic. Yeah, it's incredibly traumatic. And even if they don't it's a, have- a hallmark of trauma, according to this book that I like a lot, a big hallmark of trauma that doesn't get enough play is that feeling of helplessness. Or like, and this is again in the polyvagal system, this is where you get into say fight or flight- or you say, um, what was the word of the three things? You got fight or flight, freeze, you got freeze, and rest and digest. And so, the, but the freeze one is, I mean, I'm not saying this causes that in a clockwork, but that one of the big things in trauma was the whole like, pfft, I don't want to trigger anybody, but like, like if you were assaulted and somebody like held you and you couldn't escape, or like you were in a closet or something, God forbid, that's a big part of trauma is the whole like inescapability, inability to help yourself it's just it's harrowing i'm glad you didn't share those yeah and and the thing is even when the people don't really remember the experience this gets to my earlier point it's like you know oh so they were aware during it or whatever but not really they're the kind of aware enough that they remember something but it messes them up in the same way that like trauma <laughs> can mess you up when you know when it happens even if you don't really remember like you were half awake half asleep you know conscious sedation when it happened as your book says your body remembers and that can cause all sorts of like insomnia and night terrors and feeling of claustrophobia that you can't explain because you're like, why am I feeling this way? And there's there's the person I've been getting into more recently who says the way she puts it really in a really straightforward way, which is that, no, you're, you're not crazy and you don't have a mental illness. You might have the effects, effects of something that are very, you know, m- mental and emotional and psychic and all of those kinds of things. But the, the brutal ironic part is that actually your body is responding in a completely sound way to a threat. If you have this unmended thing from your past, I mean, is it really that surprising that that continues to have an impact on you? You know? Yeah. And especially if you can't really remember because you were half conscious. Or anyway, I keep that thinking is about not... Tim Watley. I keep thinking about Tim Watley and his dental assistant. And Jerry feels like he vaguely remembers them being naked mm-hmm. in the office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what this is all reminding yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing with these drugs. You can have weird looby dreams that aren't, don't have any foundation in reality. But anyway, the guy from, the guy from that, Breaking Bad was there and he was my dentist. Yeah. So I, th- I feel like this supports uh, the idea that I was espousing last episode that, that uh, you don't have to worry about that everybody who goes under sedation remembers everything and they erase their memory because that's not how it happens. Uh, because if they, even if they tried to do that, everyone would be massively traumatized and that's not the case I'm, i can tell you i'm not traumatized by colonoscopy it was fine people they're, they're doing like 50 of them a day in there it's you shouldn't worry about it just like you're not traumatized by uh, i have my wisdom teeth out i'm you know all, all my medical procedures that i've had uh awake sedated pain well, relief K- 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 so stewart so has been doing this in the black archives for years 
There's a guy who's been working there for 10 or 15 years, and he doesn't even know it. Mm-hmm. He always thinks it's his first day. Yep. Uh, and then the final thing from David Jensen, this is a podcast for people who like podcasts. Uh, it's, the title of the episode is The Mind-Numbing Medicine. The Curious uh, is from the podcast, The Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry. Uh, and it's investigation of how anesthetics work and what they can tell us about different states of consciousness. I have not listened to this podcast. It's a BBC podcast, but it was recommended. Hmm. Uh, so check it out if you want to hear more about this. If you're if you're wary of anesthetic, I would say maybe have someone else listen first because it might make you more scared. And I think that is uh, an unfounded fear because it is a fairly routine thing that we do all the time. And, you know, like I said, even if you don't know how these specific drugs work, it's not like this is a new innovation. We've been doing this for decades and decades. It's and well, also advice exactly. from your anxious friend that will be useless to you until you address your anxiety, as I tried to do, which is that remember that more information is not always helpful because more information just makes you, it's like drinking salt water. You're just going to want more and more information and you will never achieve a level of calms for any length of time or in any meaningful way just by the addition of information, even if it's through a friend who listened to a podcast for you. Yeah, there's probably no amount of information you can get that's going to erase uh, that anxiety. What will help with that anxiety is doing it and having it not be too bad. And then you'd be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I agree. Totally agree. And for all the people who had this procedure without sedation, it's obviously not incredibly painful because they described it as either interesting because they get to look in the camera or like mildly uncomfortable or weird, but it doesn't kill you. Like it's not it's not like you're good. I I feel like getting a a tooth drilled is probably going to be way worse. The first time that I was ever... Because I, I had the symptoms, I had symptoms of something that in college, I'm trying to do this without, it's not that I'm embarrassed about this, I just don't want to be gross and tell you about my health in a way that is not interesting to people. And I think, I think people appreciate that. Okay. Which part? Which part? The whole thing, not being grossed out for, not, you're, oh. not, you're not saying it for like gross out effect oh. and you're just, okay. like, yeah, it's not okay, important cool. to the story. Right. And so, yeah. you know. Try, try, try to support me, John, at least, at least publicly. I am. I, this, this is what at, least, at, least, like. at least, at least publicly. Um, I had the symptoms of something that it, it seems very difficult to believe was not related to the IBD with which that I, with which I would be uh, diagnosed in the year 2000 when all this set into motion for me. So some uh, 13 years before that, I had a rough time my third year of college, like very rough time. And finally, I finally was like, look, I mean, it's water and dust. Like, this is bad. Something's wrong here. And so I went to the, um, the school's physician and I, I figured he would give me, you know what? I'm going to say it in the words I would have said when I was 20. I figured he'll just give me some penicillin or similar. You know what I didn't expect was my first exam. My, my first grown up exam. Yeah, I gotta gotta check stuff out. Yeah, my first like 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 the scene with Emma Walsh and and, and Fletch. You know, <laughs> I'm familiar with that one, but I'm familiar with the adult. Sure, you are Moon River. <laughs> uh, uh, and I mean that that was probably I'm not I'm not trying to scare anybody, but the the, the Dr. Mark's uh, uh, finger in my butthole was more surprising and uncomfortable uh, than when I had a, a medical procedure related to this. And I think part of it was I just I hadn't cleared my calendar for the day, and mm-hmm. I just didn't know that I I'd feel like a little bit a little bit different later. Mm-hmm. Like I just and I'm not I'm not I'm 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 just really saying it's I don't mean that to sound like anything related to like homophobia or related to like any of the ways that could turn into a funnier joke than it, it's meant to be. It's just more that when I woke up that morning. I did not know that a guy with a Central American medical degree would have his finger in my ass that afternoon. 
And then in retrospect, you look back at that, and it's like a car accident in some ways, and you go, I, I, gosh, I, I would have worn different clothes. Yeah, but, you know, <sighs> doctors got to do what doctors got to do. Can't that's find what out they, what's that's wrong what with you, but That's what they claim. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, at a certain point, you got to Oh, you got to trust your mechanic. <laughs> John, my follow-up question for you. Uh, the, so we recorded this episode, I guess, two weeks ago. Um, and um, how do I ask, John? You had a side effect. Oh, yeah. No, that's disappointing. Oh, so, is it gone? Yeah. It's like... Uh, how long the, did you have it? So you'd had it for like uh, half a week at the time yeah. we recorded. You had... You were having um, uh, a positive bolus experience. Yeah, gold, I had golden poops. Golden my poops. poops. Were, my mm-hmm. poops were amazing. Just mm-hmm. fantastic. So just smells like, awake you when you rise. Yeah. yeah. Fashion model poops. Just glorious. Wow. Uh, and that... Thank you very much. You just made that easy for me. Yeah, that, that uh, lasted... <laughs> fashion model maybe uh maybe two weeks a week and a half two weeks and then i didn't go back to what i was doing before i, I mean this is maybe a little bit tmi but i went no in, no, no in, please by all means I, hey, just just so you know if you ever want to do a show just where we talk about yeah just about poop yeah. i'm well, totally into it well i'm so okay i was okay with poop before i had ibd and after ibd uh, it ended up being such a mitzvah that i thought poop was funny for my whole life mm-hmm. because believe me you know again like Nora Ephron says everything's content if you can't find it funny that you had to run across a highway in july of 2000 to go find a warehouse where you would drop your first duke of a year of really rough dukes if you can't find a way to laugh about that i understand but now here's the question are you chasing the dragon do you think you see yourself like going like the back back alley uh colonoscopists well so so here's so you can keep those, those sweet sweet supermodel poops one meta comment for the youngsters who may still be listening. Um, yeah. I, I can tell you that setting aside parenthood, which is a, a big spike in this graph, uh, the your interest in and discussion of poop will only increase over your lifetime. There is a big spike if you have kids, but if you even if you don't, John, John there will be there will be crises that you have no way of anticipating, let alone let alone preparing for. There are crises that will come along that, in retrospect, might seem like not a big deal because you do tend to survive most of parenthood and having a child. But there are going to be evenings where there's going to be a lot of discussion about why this is the wrong mustard mm-hmm. yellow color. And then as you become older, that becomes you. And that's why old people that's are always true. talking about their poops. Their doctors are asking how so their poops are. Because it feels so good when you have a good one. You feel so much yeah. better. The, exactly. You don't appreciate the poos that you're having as a youngster until you can't have those awesome poos because you're old and you're taking all sorts of supplements and Metamucil. <laughs> and it's like that's why old people are so excited when they have <laughs> a know. good poop. I know. I think they're very dry. My my ex's uh, grandfather, she had a, a somewhat contentious relationship. We we sort of got, he's a wonderful man, but we sort of got a little bit saddled. He sort of got placed where my lady and I lived in Florida. And mm. like we kind of became the de facto care, carer of grandpa uh, for his final years, which was in some ways really wonderful um, and some ways very challenging. But grandpa, like th- th- this was pretty much all we talked about was like this and like uh, the 700 Club was like pretty much all we talked about. And grandpa was was constantly browbeating my, my poor ex. Like he really, he, I got to get a Senecott. I need to uh, have these things. And, and this happened. I, I, I love this woman so much. Um, it happened more than much where she said, grandpa, you haven't earned a BM. As in, like, eat more, move, walk. You can't just sit in a chair and eat Seneca all day. It's not a movie. That one's going to be filed with, uh, you can't afford my loyalty. You haven't earned a BM. It's right up there. Just put it on the shelf next to it. Just file it away. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. That's perfect right there. And so, in general, um, 
I tend not yeah, to I mean, be constipated. In general, like, like yeah. jokes have left the room. I mean, how, how's it going in general? Yeah, well, so I, I tend not to be constipated, but that's what happened to me. I have the golden poops, then all of a sudden I was constipated, and I was like, what the hell is this? I can't even remember the last time I was constipated. It must have been decade, literal decades ago. But I was constipated. And, and just like, to be clear here, you're saying you didn't, as a matter of course, you don't find yourself going too over much the other way outside of um, uh, acute often probably dietetical conditions, like say you go to White Castle, you you weren't going to the other end either. You were somewhere uh, within uh, normal parameters. I'm I'm usually more to the loose side, but either way, mm-hmm. like I hadn't been constipated in so long. And that's what happened to me. I'm like, what happened? What happened, intestines? That's, you were doing so I, awesome. I bet the flushing. Oh boy, get ready. Dr. Merlin, you know that little mirror thing <laughs> mm-hmm. they put on their head? Here comes Dr. Merlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll bet you that that sort of... I want, evisceration is a little bit of a hat on a hat because viscera is guts. But the way that your little, the walls of your gut got a cleaning from that fluid, I bet caused not a reboot, but I'll bet there was some stuff going on with your system. Um, and like, here's, here's a no brainer. And because I was already going to suggest this to you off air, uh, I would suggest a probiotic. It sounds dumb, but try something like Culturel. It helped me a lot with my IBD, and it's helped a lot of you – know, I'm not saying it has to be that, but that was one of the things that actually did help me. It took a while, but it's a probiotic. Um, but, you know, flora and fauna, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in your gut. Like my friend Grant that I'm always talking about, you know, he was at the Weekly World News when the – was it Ricin arrived? Do you remember when the – or was it um, Anthrax got sent to the, to the mm-hmm. newspapers? And Yeah, he was in the building. A friend of his died. The guy who died at the Weekly World News, that was a friend of his. At, at his job. So he had to be on, on um, Cipro, I want to say. And I think when they get, this is really deep, but it's so important. Cipro is good at what it does, but it does kill off a lot of your little critters that are good for your tummy. And probiotics are a thing that then help to hopefully somewhat surgically, and I don't know, this might be a playing God in Yellowstone type situation, but you want to rebuild those right kind of good fellas. You don't want no fellas down there. <laughs> I always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> Sorry, good fellas. But you might want to look at that. But my my theory to you that I'm gonna I would like your thoughts on this. Is there a chance that the way you denuded your tom tom might have uh, stripped away some of those uh those those good critters? And then maybe now there's been like a, a backlash. I mean, maybe. I, I yogurt is a normal part of my diet, and that is kind of a probiotic uh, of a sort. Um, or at least they claim it is. I have not checked that out. But uh, well, what I did was because I hadn't I hadn't been constipated in so long. I think the last time I was constipated was before the internet. So I'm like, you know what? Let me Google hmm. constipation things. And then what I saw was the rec- <laughs> the recommendation. That was funny. Yeah. Okay. The recommendation yeah, you didn't even was have the did. It's been that long. Yeah. Was to uh, drink more liquids and eat more roughage. And only if that doesn't work, consider you know getting Metamucil or something like that. Which I was glad because Metamucil and stuff that stuff was expensive. Hmm. Really expensive. Anyway, so I did that. I just drank more. My grandmother and, had that stuff every single day. She was obsessed with her BS. Yeah, well, when you're old, you kind of have to, right? Because well, I feel also like just if you're of a certain age. Yeah. Because I can't tell these kids. And you'll hear this when you finish that Roderick on the line. But it's it's so difficult to sometimes. I'm not trying to be an old man, and I'm not trying to like be offensive. And when I'm telling you something that happened in the 70s, I'm not telling you that to cover myself with glory. I'm telling you because it's important to me to understand how the world can change and how I can change. I'm not going to use. <laughs> Use a word or a terminology, a thought technology. I'm not going to use a, a cultural reference that was non-existent at that time. That is dishonest. And here's the thing. People of my grandmother's age were raised to believe that when you say cleanliness is next to godliness, you are, you are meant 
to infer every possible connection that that can mean. All the way down to the, the Dr. Kellogg stuff about your bowel health. You remember the stuff about with, with, with uh, Kellogg, right? And like he thought that, that like, you know, you weren't supposed to masturbate and like your bowel health, health was really important and that, but that all related to God and it was, it was practically like a religion in the first quarter of the 20th century, the, the quarter of the 20th century in which my grandparents were born. And like you were supposed to make a very strong association between things like, well, yeah, maybe you're not pooping enough because you sin or like you haven't had enough roughage. And like, but it's always a full court press to figure out what you did wrong in the world or with God to have this thing visited upon you. You can, you can laugh and you can sneer and you, you coastal people can have all your fun with that, but it's not precisely magical thinking, but it's not entirely not, not magical thinking because there wasn't that much thinking that wasn't magical at the time. And one way to keep good little Irish American girls in line was to make them feel bad about their poop and their relationship with God and whether they were clean and did they menstruate. And like, that's all, that was all real, you guys. This is not just like some bit from Kimmy Schmidt or something. Like this is, that was all very real. And if you've never seen that, uh, I want to say Anthony Hopkins movie about, you know, the, the Kellogg's guys. I mean, that's the cereal company started because he had a place where you would go and do butt stuff to get healthy and right with God. You stop masturbating, you eat some goddamn bran, and you do some vigorous walking for the for God. And you can, you can imagine an old person being super into that because, again, as you age, uh, having a good poop becomes an important part of your life. And it's so easy to say, you know what? This is really important for everybody, not just me because I'm old. And right. in fact, it's connected to religion because why not? And you're off to the races. Yeah, but my result was I drank more water and had more roughage and now I'm fine. But uh, I'm not going to seeing, seeing any improvement. Uh, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm back to like my status quo. It is oh, not okay. everyone's not perfect anymore, but I'm not constipated. Should I pull up the Bristol scale? Would that be useful to you at all? No, I don't need to categorize. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't like now, that one that's all nubbly. It looks like a goat made it. That, that troubles me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to get too far into that. I did see my report and I saw my wife's report. She got a better printout than I did. I think they have better printers. Does she know you saw it? We, we yeah, creeping yeah. on her? Picked okay. her up in the car. She had a different place than mine, even though ours, you know, we have the same doctor. Yours was in we, your butt. Where was hers? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, wow. Yeah, she had it at the hospital. I'm kind of glad I didn't because at the hospital, I always feel like they're a little bit more I'm impersonal. Smart or they, fast? Oh, Alex always asks me. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta get stuff done in the hospital. They don't have a, much time to handhold. Then, of course, because it's a hospital, <laughs> she got wheeled out in a wheelchair, right? <laughs> Let alone have time to butthold. <laughs> yeah. No buttholding, no handholding. <laughs> no touching. Um... And now uh, here you are. Gosh, another five years. That, yeah. that would be a fun hobby or as I would call it a project for you, though. You, you could get real. And you don't have to tell anybody, right? It's like I say. So you learn guitar because it's fun to play guitar, not because you want to get chicks. In your case, you could, you could get super into your BMs, not to get chicks, but just because it would get you closer to God or, or yourself. You know? And stop masturbating, John. He knows. I mean, it, I is, feel it is a heat. I feel like I'm ready for the, I mean, I don't want to get to the point where I have to take something every day to maintain my poops, but I understand that future is out there and I think I will be, I will adapt to it well. Well, okay. And like, let's not, I don't want to drag this completely out with, with things that gross some people out and I think are frankly hilarious, but, uh, <laughs> said, but, but, um, let's also set the first, let's even just restrict it to the first half of the 20th century. Let's set it alongside like prevailing health factors, uh, environmental stuff, habits like smoking and drinking. I mean, my grandfather smoked unfiltered camels until he didn't. 
And my grandmother and mom were around that the whole time. People's diets were were so very different back then. I mean, just the things you, and you didn't have that many options for what to do about it. You've seen the little rascals. You know what you do? You give them a spoonful of castor oil. That, that, that's what it was at the time. In, yeah, in, in my Googling for constipation cures, there was all the uh, anti-advice for like, hey, your grandparents may have told you this, but here's what's wrong about castor oil. Here's what's wrong about mineral oil. Here's what, like they would say, explain scientifically all of the negative effects of these things that were, you know. But you, you still put butter on burns, right? <laughs> I remember. Do you remember? I was taught I that do. in school, like anti-taught no, my, my, that. Oh, my my grandmother. I See, now I feel like I'm throwing my late grandmother under the uh, trolley problem here. But uh, she did have a lot of folk wisdom and a lot mm-hmm. of it. I mean, and I, I, we mentioned last week the thing with my mom where it's like, I, I, I don't know if people will understand that reference last week when I said, or last episode, when I said, oh, whether it was chloroseptic or triaminosin, and it wasn't triaminic B or whatever, it was triaminosin. It was like contact. Like, you, okay, you're sick and we got you medicine. Oh, what's your medicine? I got you some triaminosin. And like today, can you imagine, a, I mean, today, <laughs> Can you imagine a parent going to the store and picking up some contact or trimedicine type cold medicine, bring it home and say, here, take this medicine. That would not count as medicine today. But my family was, re- <laughs> there's that word again, religious about that stuff. Like top of the hour is exactly when you take the medicine, you follow the rules. And eh, part of it is I think my mom had understandably become by her mid forties, understandably somewhat risk averse and like wanted to do all of the right things. But you just didn't have as many options. You just couldn't. I mean, today, if I want Brussels sprouts, I can get them on like a little vine, right? Kind of pluck them off. I could get them, probably get them canned. I don't know. I could get, but the thing is, I could also get them like already like um, peeled and halved and stuff like that. I can get organic, non-organic, whatever. And, and they, bre- they bred out the a lot of the sulfur compounds, didn't they? Because when we were kids, the Brussels sprouts had more sulfur. I've heard stuff. that. I've heard that. I have heard that said. Initially, I heard it said that it's just because people like my family, who is apparently the villain this week, mm-hmm. just didn't know how to cook food. Yeah, which if you is, overcook it, it makes the sulfur stuff worse. But I think the varieties does. they have now have less in them. I made some the other night, though. Actually, night before last, in the air, in our new-ish air fryer. With the usual method, it's not dissimilar from what Marco does, you know, like uh, probably a little bit too much bacon crisped up uh, with balsamic vinegar, a little bit of salt and pepper. And like, it's, it's another, I don't remember this food being anything like that when I was a kid. Late night snack, I've had three drinks and I want to go to bed, I'll have a snack and I make Brussels sprouts in an air fryer. I whatted what in the what, what? You're telling me you're 56 yeah, I also have a 15-year-old trans kid. It's like a whole lot of things I did never really see coming. But yes, that's correct. Before I went to bed, I ate a pound of Brussels sprouts that I made at a light, like 11 at night. And it was so good. I hated Brussels sprouts as a kid. Is the food getting better, John? Uh, I know I, peaches I, aren't. Peaches are moving the other way. That's yeah. for damn sure. I never had a Brussels sprouts as a kid that I can recall. And I don't mind them now, but I would never choose to eat them. It's not that they're sulfury to me. They're just kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather yeah. have broccoli. I'd rather have cauliflower. I'd rather have a million other things. Well, you notice I'm not being that guy who says, "Well, you just never had them prepared, right?" Because I'm not a guy who says things like that. Um, and I've should... had them just the way you described. You know, yeah. roasted balsamic vinegar, you know, all, all nine yards. They don't taste yeah. bad. They taste fine. Like it's right, just right. that I would never choose them over. I would rather have cauliflower with, uh, with, uh, you know. Uh, but you know, can I also just say, like, can we all just agree to stop doing the Jessica Seinfeld thing? Nobody is fooled by you liquefying cauliflower. 
That just makes you seem. I, that I makes don't understand you, the the objection to cauliflower. It's so okay, but, okay. But did you have that book or books like that? No, I, I mean anything like liquefied. The, 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 like so here's the thing: Jerry Seinfeld's. I don't know his 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 teen bride mm. in the early two thousands or whatever wrote this book that might as well have been called "How to Almost Trick Your Kids Into Eating Healthy." And it's all involves like taking dis, like disgusting winter vegetables and trying to get somebody to believe it's something else. It's a lot like the Mr. Show sketch with the tofuti. You know, when, when, uh, when Grass Valley Greg says, I see you didn't eat your tofuti. And then Brian Prosan says, well, I don't like tofuti. And then, and then Grass Valley Greg says, it's just like ice cream. And he says, no, it's not. It's really not like ice cream at all. It's nothing. It's, it's much more like tofu than it is like ice cream. And when you puree cauliflower and you think your kids, I, you know what? I will take Casey's. And by the way, I also was a, a, a um, dehydrated potato kid like Marco and Casey. This will not make sense if you have not heard that episode. But mm-hmm. yeah, we totally had like boxed potatoes. It might have even had Aunt Jemima. I don't remember. Um, or Quaker or something like that. But uh, I'll take that over like pureed cauliflower. Now, if you enjoy pureed cauliflower, that's fine. But here's my point, Jessica Seinfeld. You're not fooling anybody. Your kid, if your, your kid is doing that, if they're eating your pureed cauliflower that you told them is mashed potatoes, it's because they love you and or are scared of you. No kid thinks that's potatoes. I mean, or they just might like it. So here's the thing with like no. you know, parents... Yes, because par- I feel like... Well, then why don't uh, you just feed them cauliflower like a person? Why do you feel like you have to, like, slip it in like like you're giving your dog oh, a heartworm pill? Yeah, so, like, parents love to take credit for the things their kids would like anyway, right? So it's like, oh, well, our kids eat all these vegetables that most kids don't eat. Uh, it's not like other parents don't offer those to their kids. It's just that different kids like different things. For example, in my family, we offer all our kids all the vegetables you can imagine. All the kids eat broccoli. They prefer it. It's their favorite thing. Yeah. They don't like cauliflower. It's not like we didn't offer them cauliflower. It's not like we didn't. It's, it's like amazing because they're everything. really not that different. But I have the same opinion. Cauliflower is at best a take it or leave it for me. And but I love I love broccoli and I like broccoli lots of right. different ways. But it's not as if I didn't offer my kids cauliflower because mm-hmm. if people say oh well, if you had just offered your kid uh, cauliflower they would love it. I've been having my infinite cauliflower. I like, I like since to they were take dehydrated potatoes and shape them into little uh, cauliflowers. Mm-hmm. I call them like a little bouquet. I'm glad I didn't have the uh, dehydrated cauliflower uh, potatoes. potatoes. Not because I, it's like, so here's the thing. Like you can't, you don't get a choice about which things you're going to be nostalgic about. And nope. I, I, I'm happy that I am not nostalgic about those because I don't think they're really that great for you uh, in terms of things you're nostalgic Mm-mm. for. Like, like, uh, what was the other one? Um, fluff and nutter sandwiches, yeah, right? Yeah. Or uh, butter and sugar sandwiches. These are all things that, that, that are like tasty and filling foods that people without a lot of money can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, listening to you make, listening to all of you make your way through that gummy Marie Calendar's chicken. That was so upsetting. Oh, yeah, the pictures, the pictures. Marco, what did Marcus upsetting. say? It cuts gummy? Yeah, <laughs> all, of it, all of it is very gummy. God. And some people have nostalgia <sighs> for that. You even had it. You were talking about you, the Hungry Man Salisbury steak. The one I remember is a hungry man, and this is the kind that comes in an aluminum foil four-part tray, a four-part-type four tray, where you've got uh, the, the Salisbury steak. And the thing you guys were leaving off, or I'm sorry, I'm doing that thing. I'm being that guy. I'm being the you forgot guy. It's onions that give onions and like sometimes a mushroom soup mix usually that gives Salisbury steak. It's Yeah, I said that about the meatloaf, that I, that I felt like there should be discernible onions. Oh, sorry, onion I, mute, I mute for all the parts where you're talking. Mm-hmm. You can mute, but you can still hear me. Was that you just now? Yeah. 
And so, uh, and the ones I remember, uh, pretty much sounds like your select meal. And as, as always, I think there's been a slight downgrade. You know how like, um, first class now is like how business class used to be. And business class now is like how tourist class, as we used to call it, used to be. And I think Hungry Man Select sounds pretty close to what I remember from the glory days. Of... It, it was a step up. One thing I didn't That's mention. That's what I'm saying, though. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying everything else stepped down. Yeah. Well, so the, the Hungry Man Select had was whole pieces of chicken with bones in them. Like legit, actual bone-in pieces of chicken. I used to love, even though it was gross and greasy, and even if you made it in the oven, it was still gross. I still loved the fried chicken on a bone from uh, Swanson's. And but uh, but I remember, I feel like I remember it was. I'd have to look it up. It's really not that interesting. But it was Salisbury steak, probably mashed potatoes, probably corn, which, as you mentioned, does travel well as those things go, and then probably apple cobbler. I never was a big fan. Oh my God, John, I just had a flashback for something I have not thought about in a very long time. Do you remember, you're a little too young for this, there was a kid's version of TV dinners in the late 70s, and I remember them being pirate-themed. Maybe they weren't all pirate-themed, and I remember those coming with a chocolate brownie. I'm gonna, I will, if I can find that for notes, tippy-toe lemon tree, I will find that. But it was like a kid's version of a, of a TV dinner, which is already, of course, a, mm-hmm. a kid's version of a TV dinner. Now, I remember the brownie from the adult Hunger Man's from when I was probably like a teenager. Stouffer's was amazing, though. I think Roderick and I have talked about that. whether that was like the chicken tetrazzini in a bag or mm. the like the French bread pizza. Oh, my I mean, God. Stouffer's was we had a so Stouffer's. You came, from a, you came from a wholesome house with parents who loved each other. Well, but I also came from a house where my mom could not cook. Right, so my dad did all the cooking. And yet your mom was, I don't know, I have you, did you, I don't want to call her the H word, but your mother did have an interest in, wasn't yeah, she? She, so, she was a vegetarian for. And like uh, a sort of, sort of a, pro, pro, what would a 60s sort of progressive person. and Yeah, and also didn't like. She didn't, was she hippie? Yeah, and she didn't, but she didn't like cooking. She could cook desserts, okay, but she didn't like cooking well, anything else. And she was a vegetarian and she was also afraid of foodborne illness. So when she did cook meat, she would cook it to death if you ever haven't had yep. Don't a series of red well, on there. well mm-hmm. done pork chops from the toaster oven boy you're not living because they were just so <laughs> oh, dry and just me. completely no moisture left in them just, <laughs> is dinner ready yet let's give it another 90 minutes <laughs> yeah the, the kind of you know and, and pork chops instead of steak because steak was too sure. you know, unhealthy or whatever but pork then chops the, used to be fairly cheap yeah. And, and then yeah. my dad eventually uh, picked up the cooking uh, in, sort of later in my uh, childhood, and that really helped. But still, mom had to make meals a lot because uh, they were both working full time. So it was sure, kind of sure, like sure. whoever got home first had to do something about dinner. But uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was interesting. So that I, I didn't have uh, I have childhood nostalgia for like the later my later childhood where my dad started actually cooking good meals <laughs> yeah, before that. It was my mom cooking stuff in the toaster oven and it was not pretty. Yeah, it's funny. You, you really you you phrased it well. You don't get to pick what you don't get to p- pick the things for which you have nostalgia. It's there's this phenomenon that like I feel free to disagree with this, but I first realized this when did I, I definitely settled on this when I moved to Tallahassee. But I've seen this in lots of places. Almost everybody has I don't know why it's a pizza place. Almost everybody has a local pizza place that they like when they go home to their family, they'll go there. And it's so often they even kind of know that the f- the pizza's terrible, that the food is terrible, that it's got that weird cardboard, you know, shopping mall pizza crust. But like they still, it's so much a part of their life and their childhood. And I would certainly believe me, I'm the last person in the world. I 
I honor every memory like that. I think that's so cool. I'm you'll never meet anybody who is more nostalgic or like who will get teary eyed about the dumbest. Again, my wife threw out the shoes that she was wearing when she met me and I almost cried. I'm, I get very attached to dumb stuff. But it was funny. There was this one place in Tallahassee in particular where whenever people came home, they, they would go to this place. And like, not Signore's, but uh, I forget, it was over on like Appalachie. But boy, it was, it was nasty. I went there exactly once. And it was because somebody else liked going there because they went there. Did, did you have that? Did you remember that phenomenon? Either not necessarily in your life, but have you seen that in others' lives? Yeah, my, Look my at Casey. Wife, Casey's a walking example. Of well, this. yeah, I don't know, but I don't know what Casey gets up to. My wife, when we ever go home to her family, there was a terrible local pizza place that she liked. That terrible local pizza place went out of business, but then was sort of supplanted by another one that was trying to do the same type of pizza. And it, it's the, I don't know what the name of it is. It's the Midwestern kind of pizza where they take a big circle pizza with a crackery crust and they cut it into squares. It's an abomination. Mm, party I cut. It, but, I, but love she loves a, it. I love a party cut. I will not hear a word against it. But anyway, cut. she loves it. And so now when we go home, she gets that. Not the place that closed because unfortunately for her, the place from her childhood, you know. God, there was a place at our mall in Cincinnati that was my favorite. My mom's favorite was La Rosa's, which, if, hello, everybody from Hamilton County. La Rosa's was fantastic when I was a kid. Great jukebox. Uh, but then it was a place at the end of the mall at Northgate Mall, and I mean, it, you might as well have been eating the cardboard box that it, that it came in. Yeah. And I'm, you don't like I'm, party cut though. You like you like you. No, uh, I mean, shape. I'm, I'm blessed pie. enough to come from the land of good pizza, and also oh, blessed right, enough that the course. that the places where I had nostalgia for eating pizza, a mm-hmm. were good pizza, and b still exist. The people that you knew at Elaine's. Yeah. No, still, yeah, still, they, these places still exist and still serve pizza that is like from my childhood. And that is very rare that the place that you went to, but two places, my two favorite pizza places, which are, I think they're owned, they were, there's some big backstory. Your favorites because they were living empirically good by modern they, John they're, standards they're or because, because you were, okay, not, not just because you loved it as a kid. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's both because I did love it as a kid, but also my <sighs> dad, uh, surprise, is a pizza snob and there's a million pizza places around yourself, where so I grew up. so many lies. Yeah. There's no way you're actually the way you act like. There's no, no way. So, he, he well, so the a, implication being that you've always had extremely good taste in it. Well, so here's, uh, let me explain. <sighs> so my dad was a pizza snob and we had a million pizza places around us. So <sighs> we would try all the pizza places and we try once and my dad would go, no, I don't, that one's no good. We try another one, another one's no good. We try another one, another And eventually we narrowed it down to the places that were acceptable to my dad, which was just so happens to be enforcer, be honest. Maybe Sinatra's was mafia related. There was okay. a place called no, Sinatra's. no, but I'm saying your dad. Maybe your dad was going there to like collect protection money. Oh no, he wasn't. No, <clears throat> so he had plenty of time to cook. That was, that was when your mom had abandoned you. A different with part the, of the family. But anyway, the two oh, places okay. that we settled well, on as our, down as, right our, now. Okay. as our best pizza, it's, they still exist. You can go to them today. They serve pizza that is more or less how I remember it from my childhood, which is miraculous, and I'm thankful for it. Which is not true of bagel places, by the way. The bagel places of my childhood are gone, and the places that replace them that's, make that does not different. surprise me. That does not. Actually, I mean, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, and I'm sad to hear that. Like anything, like it's a bummer. Like it's a bummer. Yeah. I, I mentioned this last night when I was ranting about bike shops. My usual bike shop, the 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 terrible guy who owned it died, and that means the wonderful guys who would help me and work there are gone. Like it's it's it sucks. You can't help but see that as like you know a passing of time kind of thing. If there's something that you loved and it feels like a missing tooth, you know. Yeah, I, that's why I always consider it uh, miraculous when something from your childhood somehow survives, right? And it's like the bagel places, they kind of mutated. Like it's technically the same place, but they've expanded. Oh, but John, the bottom John, line is, John, let me guess. Is there a chance that some of them now offer something, whatever a wrap is? Mm, I mean, they're not that bad, but they do offer rainbow bagels, which Wraps is are bad. Rainbow, wow. That's is no that good. that wokeism that uh, Governor DeSantis is always talking about? No, rainbow bagels are no good. I disagree with them. They you shouldn't think they're too small or too big? 
Uh, it's not the size. The rainbow bagelness of them is bad, but all the bagels are too big. But I just want to give one last shout out to uh, Alpine Pastry Shop uh, in uh, the Hillside Village Center uh, in Smithtown. Uh, that is another thing from my childhood that still exists, has expanded, is bigger. It is not how I remember it, but the things that they sell are very close to what I remember. So I salute all of the places that I went to in my childhood that somehow are still in business, are still owned by the same family and still more or less like make the same thing. Most people do not have that in their lives, and I'm glad I do. Did you have some aunts and uncles that lived over there in uh, Palermo Acres 3 and 4? I don't know what that's a reference to. It's not. It's a bit. I was, what I did write down here that I'll ask you about after the show, and now, then I want to end the show, and thank you for your, for your service tonight. Um, you hinted just a moment ago in passing. This might not make it into the show. <clears throat> you hinted just a minute ago that there might have been some, is there a nicer way than Cosa Nostra? Like, what's, what's the nice way to say that? Are you trying to fish for organized crime connections in my family? Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> organized crime. <laughs> you can make long-lasting connections in organized crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, um, I, I mean, all I'm going to ask is this. All I'm, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. I'm going to drop this. I'm going to drop this fin. That means $5. I'm going to drop this. The, 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 you, you mobsters would understand that. I'm going to drop this bill, and if you pick it up, that's fine. You have a lot of really good photos of your beautiful family from over <laughs> the years. If there's any chance any chance that there's some i'm just gonna toss it out some ray Liotta looking guy and maybe and maybe like a leather jacket with a way too large pointy collar it doesn't mean you're a mobster it's just what everybody look like i don't need to i don't need to see their record i would like you to find oh how about this what if you and i start a new show called uh la cosa nostra or not (laughs) we'll we'll workshop that but we could go through photos of your family and decide on a scale of one to that's no good boss how likely they are to be in, in the family that is with. It's going to be 11 for everybody because they all look it's like 11. they're straight out. They all look like they're out of central casting. That's what everybody looked like. All my relatives, every mobster movie you've seen set in like the 70s, that's what my family looked like. It's not a caricature. They look exactly like that. They wore those give outfits. Me, give they, me a specific. They have specific, those cars. That, give like, me a specific character. One of the best ones is the in Goodfellas when they have the scene where everyone goes down to Florida and they show like Polaroids but take them with flash photography. You know that part mm-hmm. of the movie? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's what my like grandparents. Like they, they, we vacation together. We bet it like that. Okay. That's what my grandparents' photo album looks like because it was them the going down to Florida. Oh, the flash is such a great touch with the flash with that look to the pictures. The cubes, with them right? Those the little outfits. the cubes on your little Kodak mm-hmm. Instamatic. Flash cubes. Yes. Oh man. Okay. How about if it were? So this is not the scene in the Copa, but the scene when they introduce you know Johnny I or like a. Uh, Johnny was it Johnny two times yeah, and Nick, Nikki eyes Nikki yeah, yeah. eyes um, which character introduced in passing in the bar when presumably I guess so obviously it is Henry that seems to be narrating the scene but in the camera you know I guess the implication is that Henry's walking through and everybody's greeting him I took care of that thing for you mm-hmm. um, is there anybody off the dome and you know this movie pretty well is there anybody in that scene that represents kind of a good composite drawing of what your family looked like in the 70s. The men. I mean, they all kind of do. I think everyone in that scene, I could pick the relative that looks most like them and they'd be pretty close. Because they're, 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 <sighs> they're stereotypes and I've got those those stereotypes. Like, I could, well, I could pick them out. You know what I imagine for you? There's that guy that's in all the mob movies. I want to say his name. Shoot. He's, that, he's, that, he's the guy that's in all the mob movies. It's not, it's not Polly. It's not Paul Serino. But the guy... Who looks kind of like Eugene Levy in the seventies? Frank Carbone from The Godfather with the big eyebrows. Wait, which one's he? Frank Carbone. He gets garroted in the car, I think. 
Oh, I'm thinking, who's the guy who's um, in the, uh, during Dong, 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 during Layla, he's the guy frozen in the truck. Oh, yeah, no, the big, with the, the big, uh, big, with uh, that big, hair. big hair. Yeah. yeah. I, that's what I, if Frank I had to Severo, guess. I think that is, that's the actor's name. I should know that actor's name. And then, yeah, you know, so, so Polly Walnuts is in that, right? Yeah. Cause he's in the beginning at the cab stand, right? Oh, he plays Tony. Oh, Tony Stacks is such a good name. John, why don't you have a name like Tony Stacks? Uh, my name is perfectly good. I mean, hey, no, wait, like, okay, so I'm wait, like, wait, well, then what's so? Hang on, I'm confused. Then what's the name of Samuel Jackson's character? I'm losing my goddamn mind. Stacks is his name. Just well, Stacks. Then, then who's Polly Walnuts? He's Tony I Stacks. He, I don't know if he had a big role. He's he was Tony big Stacks. In the Sopranos, obviously. Tony, Tony Sirico. I'm doing the voice, aren't I? Tony Sirico is Tony Stacks. What about Spider? He might fit like Spider. <laughs> Step and fetch it. Uh, every time I, w- I watch uh, White Lotus season I hate, two, I hate, I hate uh, Spider's second appearance after he's been wounded. Mm-hmm. He's trying so hard and he's so dumb. And mm-hmm. Tommy's so awful to him. Remember, Cersei? I think he kills him. Mm, he sure does. <sighs> yeah, you're the hoof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, John. Thanks for sticking it out tonight. Yeah, so it was a tough one, but I made it through. I'm waiting for this fever to break, but hopefully tonight it will break, and tomorrow I will be back to normal. But it was a little half-strength today, but you gotta, you know, the show must go on. And the good thing is I can't transmit my germs to you through podcasting. That's the great thing about the podcast workplace. No worry about me transmitting my germs to my co-hosts, because they're very far away. Masking is optional. 